0: Did the sisterhood of the traveling pants poison each other's food so they were too sick to leave? No! I've never seen it, but I'm pretty sure they mailed each other pants!
1: Hello! <laughs> nope, nope. Hey. no. Hey! <laughs> Hello! Not okay. <laughs> Hello and uh, welcome to the fourth season of Pizza Toast. As we have established off mic, this is the fourth season Uh, Once Upon a Time, this was a podcast uh, about the Babysitter's Club, uh, adaptations thereof, and other ephemera. Uh, And now we are doing something that is a little less Babysitter's Club related, by which I mean it is not Babysitter's Club related. Uh, My name is Christy.
0: And my name is Phil.
1: And Phil, what are we going to talk about today and this, for the foreseeable future?
0: You know, I mean, if if people dropped in on the last few episodes and had never listened to any of the rest of the show, this won't come as a surprise because no. we haven't actually been talking about the Babysitter's Club as we, I guess, eagerly await the announcement of when season two is coming out.
1: Right. And we will obviously ping pong back to the Babysitter's Club once we have more Netflix to go on. Yeah. but. As it stands, we have mined the uh, movie and TV content yes. as much as we possibly can, I would say.
0: I will say that Alana is eagerly, eagerly anticipating us finally tackling the board games. Uh, that is that is on her list of requests for Honestly, us to Honestly,
1: I feel like that has to be an in-person record and we'll plan something. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, pay...
0: we'll, we'll 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 make that happen eventually.
1: Non-existent Patreon supporters, this is what you're uh, <laughs> this is what yeah. you're gunning for right
0: now. Pay for pay for tickets, and I, can you bring a board game on a plane? Is that allowed? <laughs>
1: I haven't tried since before two thousand one. So, oh, that joke was in poor taste. But also, no, there will probably be. I mean, like, we're gonna push right up against in poor taste because, okay, we're talking about the sisterhood of the traveling pants. That's sisterhood
0: of the traveling pants. Hooray! New
1: new series, new fun, Uh, expansive series. Two movies four books but five with an books? asterisk on four yeah yeah because we well, got... no, it's
0: it's it's five in the main series and then a spinoff
1: yes and or
0: i guess maybe the last one is considered a spinoff as well in some by some metrics but yeah
1: yeah because people kind of think of the first three as being a trilogy but really it's a it's a quadrilogy there's a fourth mm-hmm. one
0: uh-huh. and uh so yeah so the sister to the traveling pants by a uh, celebrated author Anne brashers
1: yeah, and the reason I mentioned 911 uh, is that the first book uh, was released on 911 in 2001.
0: Yeah, like yes. It, we we discovered that in our in our research that the, the book dropped and Brashers sitting at home eager just thrilled to death that her that her I hope this is the novel that makes my makes me a household name uh waiting for it to drop gets up that morning just sits by the phone waiting for her publisher to call and then i i assume the phone does ring but it's probably really bad news.
1: yeah yeah because she's in dc we presume at this time yeah things were bad there that day too uh yeah So at any rate, uh, this did not necessarily make Anne Bruchers a household name, but I would argue that for a while, the sisterhood themselves were a bit of a household name, at least among a certain subset. Uh,
0: Yeah, among a certain subset. This was, I mean, this this was not an unsuccessful book. This was uh, a bit of a media sensation for a while. Yeah. We'd all at least heard of it.
1: Yeah. So the book came out in 2001, as, as we said. The movie did not... Was not that far removed from it. It was within a couple of years, I believe. It was
0: in a well. The the movie uh, was wasn't it two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thousand five. So a bit longer than I would have thought.
1: Yeah. So she released books. Then I mean, she did not release them. There were three. The three successive books were two thousand three, two thousand five, two thousand seven. So the release of the third book. coincided like same year as the release of the movie
0: my question for you right off the top is did you read this book when it first came out I
1: did I didn't read this uh, immediately upon release this would have been a situation where I either read it immediately before seeing the movie or immediately after Um, my mom and I would do that with series like this we did it with Harry Potter where we both came into it late in the game and had finished the series while the third movie was in the theater uh, oh, and wow. followed along with that. Uh, for Babysitter's Club, we had done plenty of research beforehand and after. And uh, this was one that I did then go and see with my parents. So I can't remember exactly if I had read it already or read it right after. It would stand to reason that I read it before because I was entering college the year it came out.
0: The year the book came out. Yeah,
1: so it'd be 2005.
0: Wait, the movie came out in
1: 2005. Yes. Yeah, or, so you
0: okay, I'm just I'm trying to get my I am trying to get my t- I am a, trying to be a good journalist. You're
1: doing a great job. And get the like, timeline
0: I, straight here. So forgive me if I badger no, you.
1: No, fact check the heck out of me right now because like this is me trying to remember uh like I, I wish I had a better timeline down for this one. <laughs> I do know that I read the first 3 then in Rapid Succession.
0: Yeah, uh this this was not a book that I read when it first came out. Um, I was working at a bookstore when it first came out. Um, I was aware of it, but it wasn't really in my wheelhouse. Like it wasn't like a science fiction or like obscure history book.
1: Right. And it's not it is not middle grade. This is not like a Babysitter's Club book.
0: No. And I didn't have a child. Well, when this came out, I didn't have a child. Well, no, when this came out, I did have a child, but she was only six days old. (laughs) And I so it just it was it wasn't like anything that I was interested in in right. reading. I had no reason to read it. Uh, this is before like the big like YA revolution happened, mm-hmm. where everyone was suddenly into YA, and now like we're in like whatever the end of the YA revolution is, where now the the whole purpose of YA is to simply destroy authors on Twitter.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really died off in a way that is disappointing. I loved yeah. I loved it in its renaissance, even though it did give way to a lot of uh, like. Very forgettable post-apocalyptic series, particularly after like the recent recent, uh, Hunger Games. I find these books, or at least I found the idea of these books very comforting when we dove back into them, like with this one. Uh, I feel similarly about The Princess Diaries, which was not quite Mm. at the same time, but they did overlap in some of the publishing. And even The Hunger Games, I do feel a lot of nostalgia for like that era. And that was a little later. These were all coming out when I was in college and high school.
0: This was an island in the midst of the young adult uh, fantasy and apocalyptic literature boom. Yes, Uh, And romance boom, like all of that. This doesn't fit into really, and this is just solid coming of age. Mm -hmm. There's romance involved, but it's not. That's not the end point of the books.
1: What's I mean? What's one thing that is great about the first book? I think is the four stories that are told are really distinct. Like everybody is going through a different thing. Two of them are, I would say, romance adjacent. (laughs) And And then we have one that is very family focused and one that is focused very much on personal growth.
0: Right, and I hesitate to use the term romance for one of those romances. I actually occasions.
1: hesitate to use it for
0: both of them, but... but well, well, yeah, uh, Well, there's there's other words that spring to mind before then for both of them, but uh, we'll get to that we'll get, in a minute. Yeah, we'll get
1: there. Uh, something that you and I had talked about before we both got back into the book was these... Are somewhat of a piece. If any, if there is any resemblance to The Babysitter's Club, it is that they are similar to a super special in mm-hmm. that uh, it is third person omniscient narration. Right, uh, but yeah. but it is different. Uh, different ones of the girls taking over like the narrative at different points.
0: And with, with little bits of of letters popped in yes. throughout. So you yeah. get these sort of diary entries.
1: Yeah. And in some cases, they serve as transition points from one story to the other. But other ones take place in the other stories that we haven't heard from in a while. And are mm-hmm. just like reminding us to... Oh, you have to think about Tibby again in a, in a few pages. Just wait for it.
0: So this book, uh, uh, Amber shares... This is her first novel. She had written... Uh, Uh, She had written books like nonfiction books, Mm -hmm. but the idea was not hers. Right. Uh, The idea was for a book about a magic pair of pants... (laughs) Uh, actually came from a friend of hers another author i'm trying to find the uh jody anderson was the uh was the editor uh at uh alloy entertainment brashers was the co-president of alloy at the time Mm -hmm. and uh and uh, jody anderson told brashers stories about sharing a pair of pants with her girlfriends when she was a teenager one version of the story alleges that Bruchers, who had always wanted to be a writer began like Formulating the story and that got Anderson's like blessing. The other one that is that Anderson put together the proposal and that Brasher's being the co-president of Alloy took the idea and ran with it and then pay, did a payout to Jody Anderson. There's there's a murky history behind the origins of this.
1: I mean, regardless, I am grateful that Anderson got money
0: to do yes. for this. that's rare in the ideas world to like.
1: It really is. So. Dan was an editor at 17th Street Productions, which then got bought out by Alloy Entertainment, which is owned mm. by Warner Brothers. So there's a very direct through line to how this was then adapted into yeah. a couple movies. Uh, Alloy put out a lot of book series that you kind of think of when you think of the... YA going into television drama because like uh Gossip Girl was an alloy series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Was Vampire
1: Diaries? I think it is. I think it is. Uh Vampire Diaries is definitely of like akin to that and yes, a CW yeah, show yeah, that I Yeah, watched. I'm
0: looking at the list of the T V series yeah. they produced. It's like Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars.
1: Yep, and Pretty Little Liars also, yeah, The books.
0: Lying Game, The Secret Circle. <laughs> it's it's all
1: like... nuts to me how many of these were TV shows or books that Culture has forgotten about like Gossip Girl is having a real renaissance, but I Mm -hmm. can't remember the last time I heard the Secret Circle uttered out loud.
0: Like, and to me, it's it's the the I guess realist or cynic in me looks at those properties now and goes, oh, obviously these weren't like works of great like intentional passion on the author's part. These were probably. We need an author to write this series that we would like to develop into a yes. TV show. You know, we need some kind of weird synergy to happen so that yes. one leads into the other and feeds like it's the like Roswell, New Mexico thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in,
1: and in lots of cases, it's all—it's not just one author. It's like a stable right. of authors who do it. Anne Brasher's voice is very uh, distinct, and mm. uh, and she owns the series. Like I, you can tell that the same person wrote all four of these, and yet uh, all all four characters do have a different voice and i both love and hate all four of these voices also like oh an editor who wanted to
0: be a writer tell me more (laughs) which isn't to say that she's not talented because as you said she has a very very distinct voice uh these this these books are very readable oh yeah um and uh and i mean I only read this book because Alana was reading it for a book group and we used to do this thing where the book she was reading, I would just read it out loud to her while she like did stuff around the house. Mm -hmm. So I I think she was already like a couple of chapters in and she like caught me up and I was like, all right. And so I started reading it and I was like, I'm just going to read this whole. So I went, got my own copy and read it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that was before, right before the movie or right around the time the movie was coming out. So yeah, that would have been 2005. So we both Um,
1: did see this movie at the theater though. Um,
0: no, I did not see this oh, movie. Oh, you didn't? Okay. No. I... Alana went to go see it with her book group. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I did. I saw it with my parents, who I saw a lot of movies targeted at this age group with, and also just a lot of PG-13 movies. I, uh, It was just a thing. It was a matter of course. This was at the point in history when you would go to the movie theater without necessarily knowing what you were going to see oh boy, do I miss it. Um, And this one was one of the many movies over which my father and I cried and my mother made fun of us mid crying in the theater. Uh, A tried and true Gordon family tradition of the three of us. (laughs) And uh, we'll talk about the movie next week. Next week. But today, we're gonna talk about this book, which you, you and I both read over the last week.
0: I will say we both read in a day or two. Yeah,
1: it took me very, very quickly to get through this just because, and get through this is not, no, I relish it. I love it so much. I had. I. I don't know <laughs> if I like any of the characters. Mm-hmm. I know I love the experience of reading about the characters. Uh,
0: yeah, I would say that in the 16 or so years since I've read this book, my opinions about it have have changed drastically Mm -hmm. just the the reading experience not necessarily for the better not necessarily for the worse. just they're different now and my feelings about all the characters are in completely different places than they used to be
1: yes yes absolutely great and uh, your your changes of opinion are very different from mine (laughs) but (laughs) I was I would have been 17 when i started reading these books because i started college when i was 17 which means i was just a tad older than the girls in the series they're all 15 about to turn 16 going to be juniors in high school and uh at the time i was not necessarily questioning some of the actions that they take so the behaviors they model here i am 33 now i am so mad at these girls so often but also very upset with how they're being parented, whether or not they're being parented at all. There's just a lot there's a lot more to be critical of in the character's actions now.
0: But not to me critical of the author for writing oh, no. that way. No. I believe I th- that yeah. it's written in a certain way to appeal to a young reader. It's, these lives are supposed to seem relatable enough, but also pretty exciting. like they're mm-hmm. they're getting into some messes. They're stepping into some <laughs> sticky situations and learning a few lessons along the way. And then as an adult reading it, i'm I'm able to see like as an older adult too now, especially with like one child in pre-adolescence and one child who is in college, to see like, oh, yeah, like, like you said, like that th- 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 people are failing these children left and right.
1: yeah. Yeah, no. A thing that I, I, I like, I want to say up top is the reason I think these books are as good as they are, and I do think like this book in particular is just very good. I haven't read the others yet. Um, I th- I think the reason I like them so much is because these are teens that feel real, which means they are not too clever by half, though they can be like smart alecky they're not like one of them is like ludicrously beautiful and they don't shut up about it, but they're not like, for the most part, there's nothing extraordinary about any of them. Like, yeah, they're all talented at something. They're all, they're all clever and cool in their own ways, but they make the kinds of mistakes and their decision-making skills are that of 15 year olds. And I, and I find that so impressive.
0: And I'm interested in after we discuss like what the book's about and our thoughts on the book specifically to to sort of contrast it with uh, the California Diaries, mm-hmm. which try <laughs> to do a similar thing, which is which is take kids, uh, young teens, and sort of throw them into life-altering situations, but does it in a much more heavy-handed way. Uh, or the I don't Cal- even know what the term. The I'm
1: California for. Diaries are melodrama. Yeah, and they're yes heavy-handed is a good descriptor. Uh they're very it's a very heightened reality. Um mm. I've been watching the show Veronica Mars and okay. the town in Veronica Mars is not dissimilar to Palo City <laughs> in in the California series which I which I'm really enjoying uh, uh, about that show too. But yeah, it, it I I think there are character decisions that I see that were made in the California Diaries that are not uh, too different. There's like, uh, I think those at their best are like the books about grieving. Mm. The books about uh, uh, like irreversible changes to relationships are the best ones. And this book is able to handle those, I mean, it leaves things off in a really not unsatisfying way, but like a very unfinished way here and there, which I actually think is a good decision. But they handle those th- those things very uh, cleanly in a way the California yeah. diaries don't really. Like those are messy books and that's part of why I love them so much. But this book is yeah. neat, while having messy characters.
0: I just, I found it interesting because how many different narrators are there in California diaries? There are five. There's five. Yeah, so you have yeah. this sort of, but you have this rough group of, of friends who have their own storylines going on it just there was a lot of parallel to me because they were trying to appeal kind of to the same the same like (laughs) lizard brain in a teen reader's head of just like yes like this is what life is (laughs) uh except this this book goes so far as to go to greece it goes
1: to greece There are so many places it goes. I think uh, one distinction between this and the California Diaries is the California Diaries, because they were still technically under the BSC umbrella, could push right up against some of the more illicit behavior, whereas Mm. this book can delve in. And we'll see But still
0: skirts some of it. Oh, it
1: does. And I think the way it skirts it is pretty elegant.
0: Yeah. So, okay,
1: I have pulled up like one of the very first pages, like Carmen is our first narrator. And it it just lays out in a single paragraph where everyone will be for the summer. Right? Okay, so the groundwork to lay here is that there are four girls whose mothers were all in prenatal aerobics together. And they were referred to as the Septembers because they were all due in September. And uh, the four girls were sort of Uh, born into being friends with each other and their mothers for some dramatic reasons and some just oh life reasons kind of fell away from each other but the girls remained close friends and this is the summer they are all 15 years old and all going to be away from each other for the first time rather than in their... (sighs) I don't know. Is it like Chevy Chase, Maryland or something like that? It's like it is. Yeah, something like that. It is broadly Maryland, uh, close enough to DC that we get a lot of DC name drops
0: in here. Uh, Were you born into any friendships?
1: I wasn't. And uh, I mean, there were definitely kids at my church who were my exact same age that I would pal around with. The only one was my second cousin, Michelle, who I used to actually play act babysitters club with whenever we visited. And she and I were very close. We were pen pals for several years. Uh, Eventually, we kind of drifted apart. But she lived in the same city as I did for a while. So we'd see each other every now and again when we were in teens and in college. But that would be the only one nothing like this were you
0: um my mom had a had a friend who she would spend a lot of time with and her friend had a son who was slightly younger than me but we were kind of just like pre-packaged friends then like yeah. i had to spend a lot of time with this kid uh, because our mothers were friends mm-hmm. and that was fine while we were young, but then as I got older, uh it became more and more of a problem and I eventually had to like sort of cut the cord on that yeah. friendship.
1: Yeah, so my deal was uh my cousin Michelle who second cousin, but uh her her mother is my mother's cousin. That's the situation there. And they were very close uh, in their younger years. And Michelle and her family lived in Virginia and I lived in Michigan for the, like, the bulk of our friendship. So it was impossible for us to really see each other. Wow. But I would go and visit for a couple weeks in the summer. It was one of the only places I was willing to stray from home to go to. <laughs> yeah but that uh, like that just naturally did fall away as we got older when we like developed our own personalities and lives outside of like writing pen pal letters to each other in third grade
0: yeah it's gonna happen
1: it is uh it was a really special friendship at the time like i i still like i remember that fondly as one of the better friendships that i had as a kid but yeah so these but these four girls like i i imagine. this one of the reasons the, these books are interesting and fun to look at is everyone wishes they had the built in friend group.
0: Yeah, and it's an interesting place to start. Like, she uses the idea. So, the, the, the basic conceit of these books, all the books, uh, is, the, is the traveling pants, which isn't really a plot point, it's a, it's a kind of a framing device. Uh, or like a, a manifest, uh, a, a metaphor made manifest.
1: I love that about it. And I was thinking, like, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is just a title. Like, they'll call yeah. themselves the Septembers or the Sisterhood. But it, it, it yeah, it, metaphor made manifest is a good descriptor of what's going on here.
0: So they're they they going to have their first, the, 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 I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. The catalyst of this story is mm-hmm. that this is going to be their first summer apart from each other. Yes. And oh, I guess we should say they are Carmen. Yes. Who is who is our uh, our person of color representative?
1: Yes, she is our initial narrator, uh, and she is going to South Carolina for the summer mm-hmm. to hang out with her father.
0: Yes, who she hasn't seen. Who doesn't she? doesn't get to see that often. But it's going to be just the two of them all summer. <laughs>
1: or is it?
0: Is or it? Or is it? <laughs>
1: no. right. uh, then we have Lena. Do you call her Lena or Lena?
0: I call her Lena. At, I didn't as do me I. To call her uh, Lena. Uh, is this a Princess Leah, Princess Leia situation? <laughs>
1: yeah. So Lena is the one who's going to Greece for two months.
0: Right, with her sister. Yes uh effie effie uh there's effies and tivies yeah and do we Baileies assume effie and...
1: is short for anything effie. <laughs> it seems i don't know what it would be but yeah Ifhelba? and they are going to greece with, to visit their grandparents who they haven't really met before
0: right this is like let's go let's go spend uh oh it's short for euphemia by the way that's cute um yeah they they're like let's go spend the whole summer with our extended family members uh in another in a foreign land
1: and we do not speak greek but that'll be just fine
0: it'll be fine because we have money and we're used to things working out
1: (laughs) uh bridget um Uh our blonde girl (laughs) yes she she is
0: essentially the dawn is she the Dawn Schaefer She's because the Dawn she has Schaefer, hair that nobody uh, shuts up about?
1: She is going to Baja, California mm-hmm. to so go to Dawn. soccer <laughs> camp because she is a, like a soccer wonderkind. And She is. Yeah, and that's like, to me, this is not an unrealistic, like outsized talent. You know, the athletes like this in high school, like I certainly had a fair few friends who were like incredible at track or like one thing. <laughs>
0: If I, I knew kids in school who were really good at soccer or swimming, mm-hmm. and I, mean, I would be like, "Can you do anything with that?" Like, it never occurred to me that they were professional soccer players. Oh yeah, world. and like the second
1: you find out just how good B is, it, it, which is what they usually call her, it it becomes obvious that this is what she can coast on for the rest of her life if she wants
0: to. <laughs> Do you remember in the nineties when like the World Cup came to America and suddenly like soccer was a really big deal in America? I
1: sure do. I remember <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like suddenly knowing the names of both male and female soccer players—something I that was, never would have known before—I
0: was bowled over. It had ne- up until that point, it had never occurred to me that adults liked soccer. Yeah, like, yeah. I had, I didn't know. I had heard, like in like British shows and stuff, they'd be like, "We're gonna go watch the football or whatever," mm-hmm. and I'd be yeah. like, "All right." Like, yeah. I guess I don't know what that entails. But all of a sudden, it was like this whole other world came crashing in on mine and. Now I see that someone in 2001 who's really good at soccer is looking at like, OK, this could be it. Mm-hmm. This could be my thing. And, and it, that could be a realistic thing for yeah. her.
1: And uh, I mean, we'll get into her family dynamics later, but is but not it worth much. establishing up top that Bridget's mom committed suicide and they just dance around it literally the entire book?
0: I was going to say she's the only one whose family we really do don't get to know yeah and we get to know a lot about it later in other books yeah
1: there are reasons for that which is mostly she is her relationship with both her twin brother at this point and her father all but non-existent
0: yeah we only see her in relation to the soccer camp yes in this book and well the people she meets at the soccer camp
1: (laughs) and then our fourth girl tibby which is short for tabitha uh Mm -hmm. tibby my my favorite then, probably still my favorite now, though it's a tough call. Uh, who is going to stay home and work at Walman's, which is Rite Aid, Walgreens? It's it, yeah, it's like a, it's a it's a pharmacy. And mm-hmm. the the important thing to know about Tammy, I think, is that her parents used to be very both very granola and socialists. <laughs> Her father, her father was a public defender, but then real, like she almost says, like he realizes he could make money. Uh And they kind of did a round two with kids and and they have two very young children and are acting much more like normal parents at that point.
0: Yeah. Uh When I first read the book, Tibby's story is the one that really... uh she's the one I felt the worst for. Yeah. Because there is nothing like that sense that like I was the trial kid and then like years later my parents were like, okay, now we're going to start our real family.
1: Yeah, so she's 15 as are all the girls and her uh, younger siblings are three and one and they have a housekeeper so she doesn't really have to be involved with their lives at all and clearly just resents that they exist at least for (laughs) a large portion of the book.
0: And the parents seem absolutely befuddled by the fact that she's not helping out around the house. Well, with hey, the she kids. has a nose ring, so that's okay. So, two thousand one, <laughs> she has a nose ring. Does she have colorful hair in the book? She does in the movie. It doesn't mention that she has colorful yeah. hair in the movie. She has a streak, a color streak yeah. in her hair. Um, but, which by the time the movie came out, that was okay. That yeah. was a thing. Yeah. Nose rings are a little more common color streak in the hair though how are you going to get a job it's okay, a so real question do you notice when somebody has a nose stud because i don't i used to that was like a big deal <laughs> it
1: was a it was a big deal even when i was in college but that's like 15 16 years ago and if a friend has one and then mentions that they have to take it out to go swimming or something i will have looked at their face hundreds of times and never noticed
0: it was there <laughs> What I do notice, and, and it's I notice it especially now because it's way more uncommon, and it's something that actually seems dated now when I see it, mm-hmm. is someone who has the eyebrow ring.
1: Yes, I, I will also notice that.
0: <laughs> like for some reason, that one just looks like, oh, sweetie, it's no longer 1998. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, and I get it, do whatever you want, Put whatever you want in your body. It's fine. It's your body. But for some reason, that just seemed fashion-wise. Uh, when I was in h- high school, or maybe I had graduated, I went to the mall, and I had an ex-girlfriend who was working there. And I just went dropped in to say hi. And she was like, oh, my new boyfriend is here. And I, you should meet him. And I was like, oh, this is something I definitely want to do. Thanks. <laughs> uh, because she always dated like the most like large-necked football players. Mm-hmm. Like That mm-hmm. was it. Like, And she would always say... I want you to meet someone, so he reminds me so much of you. And then I meet a guy who could, like, barely talk. <laughs> and so she she introduces me to this guy who's wearing like, a striped shirt. He looks like the Sandman from Spider-Man comics. <laughs> and But he has an eyebrow ring. Like And it's just, like, there. He has, like, a crew cut... And he shakes my hand. He looks like he wants to just hit me as soon as he sees me. But he's got this <laughs> eyebrow ring, which was totally weird at the time. Like, nobody did that. Well, nobody had like, them then. Like, that's... I was like, is he just trying to appeal to this? Is he just, what is he doing? Any case, that's what I think of when I see eyebrow rings. So, the whole, the actual reason I feel weird about eyebrow rings is because it reminds me of this guy that my ex girlfriend <laughs> in high school ended up dating probably for a week. <laughs>
1: It's a perfectly valid thing to associate them with, though, because like I feel like I that's think. as long as it lasted that that was a cool and acceptable <laughs> thing to do. Uh,
0: again, no shade to anyone with eyebrow I, I I am throwing adorn shade your at people, body, adorn means. your um, body.
1: Yeah, so we have our, our girls' stories are established. Uh, I think it's Carmen picks up the pants mm-hmm. in a thrift store. Yeah, shoves them to the back of her closet. Doesn't think about them again. Uh, when they're Beginning to say their goodbyes for the summer. Tibby's being very uh, morose. It's kind of her thing for a while. She's very yes. sulky. And she says she wants to try in the pants. Yeah. She sees uh, after Carmen has kind of unearthed them. And all four girls find out in succession that the pants fit them. Perfectly.
0: Yes. And not only fit them, but are flattering on yeah. each one of
1: them. Uh, they, there's a lot of butt talk in this, in this bit. Um, a lot yeah, of butt uh, talk. A thing that, I mean, this was. This pervades so many books for this demographic during this era and probably still does, but I know it's a little less bad now. It talks so much about what these girls look like, specifically their weights. Like, it's so. It happens over and over and over again. And. Insert like it's in service of the narrative, usually, <laughs> but this is right. Like in Carmen's story, it does actually play into how mm-hmm. out of place she feels once she gets to uh South Carolina, but. Yeah, it's it's mostly unnecessary, but I, but I get them being like, hey, look, your hips also look good at these, or you have hips now that you're wearing these. Like, it's a cute scene.
0: Yes. It, it, it establishes that these are four girls with very different body types and very different heights. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. no reason, realistically, the pants should fit all four of these girls. As anyone who's ever bought a pair of jeans knows, it is very rare to find a pair of pants that fits you. a single body. <laughs>
1: yeah. Just a person, any person. Ugh. Yeah.
0: So these are the Some perfect pants, ones. and they, they form this set of rules. What they're going to do is they're going to – and to me, this is the most unrealistic part of the book, which is they're going to somehow mail these pants around the world <laughs> within a day. Yeah. Like they're pa-
1: Wear the pants a little less far-flung. Like, say they were even just, like, across America. Like, mm. let's include Mexico and Canada and the, and the islands in this and and the 50 states. That might be slightly more realistic. These are going to Greece and, <laughs> and and they somehow make it back. They Nothing ever happens to them except while the girls are wearing them. Like, they're perfectly intact.
0: I was going to say, can you imagine trying to mail a, just a pair of pants to Mexico? No. Like, what would that, what process, like, as soon as someone's like... Well, here's sort of a loose package being mailed to Mexico or from Mexico. Let's take a look in here. Just a pair of pants. So oh, that just makes it even more suspicious. That's
1: very suspect. Like, no, yeah. I uh, I don't even like mailing like, a shirt in the continental United States. Yeah. Like I'm sure that it's going to be lost somewhere, particularly now when our postal service is uh, objectively oh, nice. garbage. But... <laughs> uh digression anyway
0: so So the idea is that they have this set of rules that what they can and can't do while wearing the pants like you can't pick your nose in the pants you can never wash the pants you can't make out with a boy in the pants no it's not
1: that it's that a boy can't take them off but you can take them off in front of the boy which is a much more
0: provocative
1: but yes uh, for a
0: 15 year old
1: they (laughs) they also say you can't double cuff the pants, a thing that I have done indeed in the last 12 months. So I'm, I'm ignoring that one. Like that rule doesn't, that one doesn't apply. So they all do like a bit of a ceremony at the, uh, yeah. exercise studio where their mothers met. They break in cause mm-hmm. Bridget can jimmy a lock, which is cute. Uh, they all bring the same things, like the same munitions that they bring to all their sleepovers. Yeah. They write up this list of rules and they swear to follow them and then the pants are bestowed on their first recipient.
0: Which is Lena.
1: It is Lena. Uh,
0: yeah. And again, this is, this, is, this is it's worth pointing out that at this point now, the pants simply become a way to go from one story to the other. Like, not even really one story to the other, because they jump around the stories all the time anyway. It just sort of becomes a through line. They, they, the girls will put them on to gain confidence, to mm-hmm. be like, you know what, I need an extra boost of confidence. They'll put on the pants. They'll be like, I look good in the pants. But at no point do the pants help them, like, fly or <laughs> kick through a wall. Uh, the pants are not bulletproof. They are just a pair of pants that look good on everyone. Yeah. as
1: uh, and they don't ever take on any more significance than these are my pants that I share with my very best friends, which I like. Right. I like that it's, about them.
0: I, I, do, I do like that about them because... Uh, it, It could have very well become something else. Mm -hmm. The pants, if there is any magic
1: to them, they do arrive with the person who needs them most in some circumstances. But there are other times when the person who's mailing them off is like, nothing special happened while I had the pants. Maybe something special will happen to you in the pants.
0: Yeah, the pants are like God in that way. In the sense (laughs) that I prayed for this and nothing happened. Well, maybe that's what I needed to happen.
1: There is one bit... Where Carmen sends them to Bridget after Carmen has made a decision that I actually really respect. And it's like, I hope these bring you good sense. And guess what they don't do? Nope. <laughs> no. No good sense <laughs> at all. <laughs>
0: um, so let's break down these stories a little bit yeah. now that we understand the pants. Uh, yeah. Let's start with... God, who do we start with?
1: Oh, yeah. This uh, is I... what I was going to ask you. Uh, do you have a power ranking for these girls? Like, Do you have one that frustrates you the least or uh <laughs> phil's making
0: a really good series of expressions right now <laughs> frustrates me the which sisterhood of the traveling pant frustrates you the least that's like the worst buzzfeed quiz uh or the best uh i would find least frustrating probably carmen
1: that's my pick carmen is because
0: my i feel like her situation is almost entirely brought about by the decisions of others yes
1: um carmen is bold she is uh she's outspoken that's something that she seems hard on herself about but doesn't it's not a habit that she really breaks in this book and i think it's to the i think it's not to her detriment i think that that's for the best uh but she is uh yeah she is somebody who's willing to stand up for herself under normal circumstances unless she is caught off guard and that happens over and over again in this book
0: yeah, uh, she is. I mean, there is the unfortunate stereotype of a like fiery Latina. Yes, because um, she is you know,
1: half Puerto Rican.
0: Yeah, she's half Puerto Rican. Her, she, she, she always says that she gets it from her mother. Like mm-hmm. that's her mother's side of the family. And as problematic a stereotype as that is, I being half Latino myself and knowing plenty of people who were growing up, uh, that's a thing that people do. If you're <laughs> from that culture, you say like. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Mexican side of me coming out. Like, it's just a a thing. So it's not, I would say, out of character for someone like her to fall back on that, especially Mm -hmm. when she's feeling insecure. Yeah. Um, But yes, so she goes to South Carolina to hang out all summer alone with her father. Mm -hmm. And this is the first thing that happens in this book that I was like, what a bunch of idiot adults.
1: Yeah, so... (laughs) I just I was so mad at him the entire time because this is yes. just a, I don't know what his profession is because I could do the bad dad, whatever dad construction, <laughs> but he's a, yeah, he's a bad dad, South Carolina dad. Uh, she's so excited because every trip that they've done before this or every visit they've had, it's been like him being a bachelor and her just kind of getting to come along for the ride, like go to a fun hotel and like go out and have some, some like, you know, like junk food, like all, all these (laughs) very, like they have a very playful relationship. He's like the fun dad that she gets to see every now and then. But when she arrives, she asks him a lot of questions about like what they're going to be doing. Like, Oh, are we going to play tennis? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? And he hedges their whole ride and then instead of bringing her back to, like, his whatever one-bedroom apartment, he brings her back to a giant Victorian house and reveals that he is getting married to somebody she has never met or heard of.
0: Who has two kids she has never met or heard yeah, of. Yeah,
1: who are um, her age, about. And mm-hmm. uh, all three of these people are, like, blonde and perfect.
0: <laughs> yes. So her father has... she He and the mother divorced... And how yeah, he has found himself a white woman, with the whitest children, living in the whitest neighborhood, and not informed his daughter that she was going to be meeting these people and living with these people for however long she's there.
1: A couple of months. She's gonna yeah. be there a couple of months, and uh, she needs. To, she's supposed to be in their wedding too. Yes. A wedding she was unaware of, and this is the point. As like an older reader, this is the point at which I realize. Oh, this whole story is just going to be her trying to push against what is very unfair behavior and getting pushed back down.
0: And she responds as anyone would, which is she goes into shock, basically, for a while. She can't respond emotionally or verbally or physically to this. And everyone's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, you just completely annihilated this girl's worldview and expected her to go along with it and at no point does the dad sit down and go i'm really sorry i know this must i, I made a mistake nope it is she is expected sure. to toe the line and go right along with all of their whims and fancies it's really frustrating and yeah it
1: it draws but it, the way uh brochures is able to then draw this character is really great because we see flashes of her personality, but it is all being suppressed by everyone around her. Yeah. And it's, again, frustrating, but it's a, it's a good trick. Like, the, the writing is like, this is a one weird trick in writing where you're able to illustrate what a character is by having that character's trait stripped away by a situation.
0: Up to the point where she is being forced to try on an ugly bridesmaid's dress... Uh, a dress that looks good on her soon-to-be stepsister, but looks bad on her with her coloring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also does not fit because she has larger hips and a larger body. And she gets humiliated by the dressmaker
1: mm-hmm. for
0: looking the way she does until she finally snaps uh, and yells at the dressmaker and is made to feel bad for doing that. So I've been in
1: almost an identical situation to this Obviously, it is different because I am a white woman. But my uh, ex sister-in-law <laughs> enlisted to be in that wedding uh, and trying to say like the the least mean things about this possible because I, I have a fine relationship with <laughs> this. Is There's can believe her name if you want. That'd be funny. Um, no, <laughs> she she had her four best college friends and me as her bridesmaids because she had no She had no female siblings. And that was fine. That was a really nice gesture. However, all four of them were thinner than I was and blonder than I was. And in at least three cases taller than I was. And I'm tall. I'm five eight. So like I, I just looked really out of place with like, like my brown hair and like kind of a sturdy build, we'll call it. And the dress that I wore is still the ugliest thing I've ever worn in public, and it looked amazing on the rest of them. Oof. So every, I think every person who has been asked to be a bridesmaid multiple times has worn at least one awful dress. This sounds worse than anything that I have had to wear. Like, I had to wear, like, a pale green spaghetti strap thing. Okay, it was bad. Carmen is, like, wearing pink fluff that does not fit her, and it sounds awful, and this... There is nothing more mortifying than being but looked at by a sales like a salesperson and having them assess you and you having to watch them assess you and try to regain composure while they find you hideous. Like it's awful.
0: Yeah, and add on to that the racial component. Yeah, which is no. This just makes it infinitely worse. Like yeah, so like she's got this. She's got it coming at her from all sides.
1: Mm -hmm. No one ever when she. I mean, this is like this is South Carolina, uh, and whenever. Carmen alludes to her race The people will not confront it along with her they try to talk around it every time and it is yeah. painful and that feels very accurate to how it would right. happen in real life
0: uh yeah because I mean it, you know uh it, 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 it the, the her story does a great job at isolating her yes and and uh, in, a, in a literary sense othering her mm-hmm. uh, like as a reader you're sympathetic with her and you see her point of view but you can also you also get to see like uh the way she's treated very clearly with no exaggeration like this isn't you also don't get the sense that this is simply how she's perceiving it it's literally happening to her uh,
1: it's definitely what's actually happening and part of how that is indicated is uh paul who is one of hmm. Okay, so it's Lydia and is the uh, new stepmother, or will be the new stepmother, and then Paul and Chris are the children. Paul does not speak, for the most part, but serves as almost the Greek chorus here and there, and kind of keeps us updated on what the situation is, with like five words every 50 pages. (laughs) I actually quite like his character, because he feels like a very real teenage boy, who like, he's happy... He's not, No, he's not happy. He's never happy. But he's like, he's almost grateful for Carmen's
0: friendship by the end of the book. He's got a girlfriend. Who Carmen calls Skeletor, and that's really funny. It's really rude, though. She doesn't... It's a little judgy. It's <laughs>
1: very... Seems... It's super judgmental. But if that's the worst she could come up with when she's put in this situation,
0: I'm gonna... <laughs> I'm gonna give her a pass. Um... Uh... Paul is interesting because he, yeah, he only speaks a little bit and, but he does make a bad call. He accuses Carmen of like, I can't remember how he phrases it, like stirring up trouble or something. Yeah.
1: He says that she, like she, yeah, she causes trouble like without need to, which is not
0: true. And I'm like, I don't think Carmen caused any trouble. uh, Until the one thing she does at the very, near the very end of her story, which is, which is vandalism.
1: Um, Sometimes vandalism is good. This is my hot take. And in this case, it's good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it is. So basically, a, what, yeah. let's just say it. What, yeah. what, what, what culminates in uh, this whole thing where Carmen is, her father keeps canceling, Like they're going to go play tennis together and then he has to cancel on it. She has the bad experience with the dressmaker and uh, she can't get anyone. She runs away eventually mm-hmm. and doesn't come back home. And no one seems to care.
1: No, no one notices. Uh, she... Goes back to the house and is thinking, oh, maybe my dad's out looking for me and then sees through the picture window in the front that her dad is eating dinner with the rest of the family, like nothing's happened. So she picks up a rock and throws it through the window and leaves.
0: Yeah. And literally leaves. Yeah. She Don shafers it out of there. She
1: shafers it out of there. Uh she yeah, she gets a bus ticket back to uh her home and just goes like goes back to her mom, which it it is it feels like what she should do. Like it, it, I was
0: totally on board with it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, she, out of the goodness of her heart and with a little bit of guidance for both her mom and Tibby specifically, uh, she does end up going to her father's wedding. But between the two of them, she has the phone call with her father, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: which is where she just lays out how unfair he was to her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we don't, I mean, we don't know what his perspective it is is there, but it's like he's understanding and hearing this for the first time.
0: It's wild. It's like he has uh, not
1: even considered that maybe this was why she was angry, the The way she'd been pushed
0: out. Which may go a ways to explaining why her father and her mother split up in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Maybe, maybe he needs a world in which everything is pretty transparent and laid out and so that he doesn't have to like completely understand people's feelings.
1: (laughs) I mean, her story is tied up a little bit neater than a couple of the others. She, uh, she goes to the wedding, she wears the pants. This is one of the yes. good t- good, uh, good pants usage in here because then she doesn't have to wear the awful
0: dress. Yeah, she's not in the wedding. She's not in the
1: wedding. Uh, she like kind of sits in the back and then is in some of the wedding portraits with the family and remains friends with Paul.
0: Yes. The yet. And of course, there's a few other books in the future. So. Yes.
1: <laughs> and so. I will say Carmen's story becomes uh, much more about who she is when she is allowed to be fully herself in the next few mm-hmm. books, uh, it gets almost silly by the end. Like, she, she doesn't get to have heavy stories after this, I would say.
0: Spoilers.
1: Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> but do you, they they hit you with the heavy stuff right away with Carmen. But to me, Carmen is, yes, the least irritating, the least frustrating among them.
0: Yeah, she's in the most frustrating... Not the most frustrating. Well, she's in... The situation that is just this poor kid just got thrown into. I mean, they're all kind of this poor kid because they're all unprepared for the situations Mm -hmm. they're in. But who's the second least frustrating in this this setup?
1: Okay, this is a toss-up for me. Because
0: it's either Tibby or Bridget. I would say Tibby simply because sex isn't involved.
1: (laughs) I would say the same because... Tibby is the character that I latched onto as a teen, yeah. and I still see a very strong resemblance between my t- my teenage self and and Tibby. <laughs> and it's hard for me not to forgive her for being just like incredibly snarky and pretty ungrateful <laughs> at points. Although her parents, yes, they provide for her, uh, like in all material ways possible. But they give her no emotional support. So,
0: so, right. Because yeah. so, uh, they're too tired. They've got these screaming babies. They're
1: so tired and their babies are always screaming. And and uh, Tibby's escape from them is working a minimum wage job at Wellman's, the, the Rite Aid. And yes. She's uh, almost immediately meets Bailey, uh, mm-hmm. one of the MVPs of this book amazing yes. character but
0: only this book
1: oh what what could you possibly be so uh is is cancer kid a trope
0: yes a, uh like... bailey is a plot point bailey is a a yeah she is a stock character mm-hmm. who has been plucked from the well of lost plots and <laughs> dropped into this book. They just fished her right out of uh, other stories and tossed her in but they finessed her a little bit. She fits so well into this narrative though. Like uh yeah. and we talked about this like
1: so the second you meet Bailey, she is like collapsed in uh, in the grocery store. She's yes. um wet herself. She is uh like she's either seized or has mm. is fainted at the time they find her. Uh Tibby calls an ambulance, uh um T- uh, Tibby, like, pockets her wallet so she can give it back to her later. Uh, and uh, they end up having a friendship entirely against Tibby's will.
0: <laughs> yeah, because uh, this is a little kid. Bailey is who... 12. Yeah. yeah, yes. And Tibby is, of course, 15. And So much older. At <laughs> that age? Yeah. yeah, no, there's a gulf there, for sure. Oh, and when I said that like, they pluck this character from the well of plots and just toss her in, but they... They manage to take this stock character, Cancer Kid, Sick Kid, and dress her up enough and mix up her motivations enough that she manages to exist beyond that the plot necessity. Yes. She becomes her own character, but she still is a little wise beyond her years.
1: She is definitely precocious. She's a she's one of those. <laughs> a but they
0: frame it as this kid is been sick her whole life has had to grow up so fast mm-hmm. and when and when tibby asks you know what are you afraid of she says i'm afraid of time like that's the only thing she knows that time is ticking away this is not this you you start getting the hints early on that this is not miracle cure cancer kid this is not no. going into remission cancer kid this is this kid's ticket is about to be punched yeah, this
1: this kid will not make it to the next book like this is the, right and uh her her ghost will will live on but not literally, although, that, I mean, that would be fun magical realism. No, so... Uh, t- Traveling
0: Pants Mysteries presents.
1: <laughs> so Tibby's idea for the summer was that she was going to make a sucumentary. It was going to be about how lame and boring her town was specifically, like she was going to focus on some of the sad sacks of the town. Who
0: was she going to show this to?
1: I don't know. And it all sounded it's it's a mean premise but it is the kind of thing like a sour teen would think would be right oh i'm so mad at my small town i'm so much better than like that whole thing you know yeah. the way i felt
0: when i was a kid <laughs> She's going to interview the biggest loser she can find in the town and then do a documentary making fun of them, I guess. guess And as anyone who's ever interviewed, anyone knows, as soon as you sit down and start talking to someone and get to know them, you start seeing them as more of a multifaceted individual. So you already know going in, if you know anything about plots, that. Tibby's gonna learn something from this documentary she's making yes uh what you don't under what you don't anticipate is that Bailey is going to be the driving force behind the documentary mm-hmm.
1: Bailey's gonna hold the boom mic uh Bailey's mm-hmm. gonna help her ask questions and get people to open up more because Bailey cares about people's stories she wants to learn as much as she can well she still can and yeah uh she's Bailey's a little bit snarky herself like she has a dark sense of humor for especially for a 12 year old not that that can't be a thing but it's like she has she has this gallows humor about her and she and tibby have a somewhat antagonistic relationship Mm -hmm. but become close really quickly mostly because they're spending so much time together like she meets tibby at the end of every shift so they can go film but really go spend time together
0: yeah and Bailey doesn't suffer fools gladly. She doesn't suffer pity. Uh, oh, not at all, which I love. Yeah. And so Tibby has to learn the rules around this kid, which is like, don't talk about her illness. Don't say, I'm sorry if you're sick. You know, don't do not do any of this kind of stuff. Don't ignore it. But also like, she uh, Bailey will guide this relationship, this aspect of the relationship. And I like that. I like that this kid has boundaries that she clearly sets and that Tibby is like, I ostensibly don't care about this relationship, but also I'm going to follow these rules to the letter so that I can maintain this friendship.
1: Mm-hmm. And Tibby has room for the friendship because all of her friends are gone.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: she would probably take any company that she could get, though she would never uh, say that out loud. Like, that's not something she would admit. And Bailey ends up being really an ideal companion for the summer. And at the at, she passes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, around uh, is it like around that time is when you start to see like the whole time tibby has been transforming to some extent she's she is becoming like more sympathetic to other people's plights she's starting to understand like oh maybe it's not so bad uh that I'm in like this the family situation I'm in isn't so terrible other people have it worse problems are pretty small when it comes down to it is all it it is it is lessons that are worth learning (laughs) and that she just hasn't had to until this point like she's never been in a position where she needed to know these things and she seems significantly more mature by the end of the book it
0: and and that shows in the sense that when carmen returns after throwing a brick through her father's window (laughs) uh carmen is trying to explain what's happening and expects tibby to react like tibby reacts which is with snark and sympathy but tibby actually tries to like reason carmen like well have you thought like have you ever thought like and carmen gets upset which is good for carmen's story but also really interesting for tibby's story because it shows you that she's no longer just going to be the person who sees the worst in everything and i also find it interesting that you have this story about this child bailey and you meet bailey's mom and when bailey gets very sick and ends up in the hospital near the end tibby cuts off all contact with her. She does not know how to emotionally deal with this. Mm-hmm. And Bailey almost dies without
1: yeah. thinking that her,
0: her new friend has just ditched her. Yeah. And it's it's probably to me the most stressful part of the book, which is is this kid gonna die thinking that she has no friends in the world? I like, had to skim no, thought. I
1: had to skim through those pages when uh Tibby's just getting phone messages from yeah. Mrs. Grafman, Bailey's mother. When then when she does go to the hospital, she ends up Falling asleep with Bailey practically every night.
0: Yeah, like, she, uh, she visits after. She sneaks in after hours. Yeah, and falls asleep in her bed. It's
1: very sweet. Um, uh, one of the people who was going to be spotlit in the documentary, mm. uh, Brian McBride, <laughs> Why is that his name? Uh, ends up like becoming a friend of Tibby's and a friend of Bailey's, and like uh, gives her gifts. Um, there are a couple characters who end up telling tibby like all the kind of things bailey did for them yeah and they're nothing it's nothing huge but it's all just like
0: genuine kindness from like an unexpected source and this is, that's like this whole character right so bailey is bailey's a little angelic she's well, yeah. you find out that she's not only touched tibby's life she has been walking around this neighborhood <laughs> touching everybody's lives and bringing them out of their shells uh brian's interesting because in this book he is just the kid he spends all day at 7-eleven playing uh what is essentially the video game gauntlet just yeah yeah playing uh dungeons and dragons dungeon crawler and they were going to interview him because he's such a loser because he plays video games haha uh <laughs> and then of course you find out that he actually has like a soul yes and a personality but uh, if I remember correctly, Brian becomes a bigger player in the yes, later books. Yes, he's a
1: much more important character in the later books. Um, yeah. Yeah, this, I, the movie... We'll talk about it next week because I don't like how the movie treats him in contrast with this. Like, But I really, I like that almost immediately Tibby starts to soften around him because he's yeah. like, oh, he's teaching them how to play the game. He actually well, like has social skills. He's just funneling all of his free time into doing a thing that he enjoys because it's
0: summer. Yeah. He also, Ambra shares, pauses a video game at the 7-Eleven. He's playing an arcade game at the 7-Eleven, and then he says he pauses it and turns to the girls. (laughs) At which point, I would have thrown the book across the room had I not been listening to it in my car. (laughs)
1: Did he get to a kill screen? Is that what they meant?
0: It just says he paused the I game and I just he turned to them. I
1: couldn't get over it. I, as somebody who played arcade games for the first time in a while, but very recently, like within the last couple of weeks, I can assure you that that's not a thing they do. Even the most modern of arcade games cannot be paused.
0: Because that would defeat the purpose of the arcade game, Precisely. which is to make money.
1: Yes. So, yeah, um, that's a. But that's. I mean, that's basically Tibby, right? Like, like Bailey yeah. passes away. Tibby has learned how to be, uh, like, a a better person. And it's not an unrealistic transformation. It's not, like, yeah. a night and day difference. Uh, she's still the same girl. She's just softer.
0: You don't get a mourning period.
1: No. Uh, it is... And you said it's a little... It is rushed, but... It's...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wildly rushed. It's like, she's like, and then she died. <laughs> I went to the... Or I, Tibby went to the funeral and a few days later was hanging out with Brian. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, like, I don't... yeah, it's. But Bailey, I know Bailey is not forgotten in the series. No, like...
1: and I want to say that it's that she's compartmentalizing the feelings for later because mm-hmm. of what's to Could come. Could be. But it, it it doesn't feel like it at the moment. Right.
0: But... This is also, if, if if you're not familiar with the books, at the end of these stories, You're left with the feeling that this book was written with future books Mm -hmm, in mind. mm -hmm. This book, these stories all sort of reach neat little conclusions, but nothing is solved.
1: Yes. I Um, would actually say, like, if we we want to move on to our next least frustrating girl, Bridget's is the one that feels least finished
0: to me. Yeah, because Bridget's just raises question after question about who is Bridget.
1: And Bridget is relentless. Bridget is a uh, Bridget is a bombastic character. Bridget, there is so uh, there is so much going on there, and we find out so little about her beyond like I want to go fast, like <laughs> that's her thing. <laughs> She's the Sonic the Hedgehog. she is Sonic the Hedgehog, except she
0: has yellow hair rather than blue hair. <laughs> right. She is tall, athletic. Not they 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 make the point. You said this like a while back. Yeah. You were like. They make the point of saying that she's not conventionally, like, cute. No. But you can't stop looking at that yellow hair. So
1: her hair is the color of a peeled banana. And I actually think that's a... It's a wonderful descriptor because it is a thing that somebody would write in like a high school poem, but it also is evocative. Like, it tells you, yep, yes. that, that, that what, that's what that person looks like.
0: She is she is Joanna from Sweeney Todd. She is <laughs> Rapunzel from Into the Woods. I'm sure she's any other Sondheim character as well. She the is not Blake hair.
1: Lively, but we'll get to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, she, she lives life fast. She's completely impulsive. She can't sit still. And you discover through drips and drabs and little hints from other characters that her mother suffered from extreme mental illness Mm -hmm. and also that Bridget is terrified that she is going to inherit this. This is a serious concern in real life for many people Mm -hmm. and for this character in general. And what I love about her story is that you really only get to see it playing out as opposed to investigated yes that and is her true. friends aren't shrewd enough to understand it they only know that she's the wild one mm-hmm.
1: it's a lot more surface level even the descriptions than what we get with yeah. some of the, there's not a lot of interiority with her and when there is it is so colored by the situation she's in yeah and so not about <laughs> anything to do with her past or who she is or who she is because of what has happened to her before. So yeah, like as, as we said, her mother committed suicide at some point. We do not, we don't really know when at this point. Right. Could have been a while ago. It could have been relatively recently. Um, She has a, a mostly absent though. there father, like he's physically there, but knows nothing of her. She has a twin brother. She used to be good friends with, but since her mother's death, they are, they basically don't speak. And uh do we put... hear
0: about the brother at all in this book? No. I don't remember. Like a, yeah. there's
1: one or two mentions of Perry like how they used to play with him when they were kids, but it's yeah. just kind of dropped off. And but her thing has always been soccer cuz she's very good at it. Like she's she's fast, she's an aggressive player. She uh we find out that she is she's a she shows off. Like she yeah. she is good enough that she can be the best player on the field at all times. And that doesn't really work out great for
0: her. But that doesn't really work at a soccer camp. No,
1: not at all. So yeah, she's going to Baja California in Mexico to, uh, it's like a soccer intensive. Like it feels like a college prep situation.
0: Mm -hmm. And Uh,
1: she meets some girls. Uh, We don't get much of their personalities beyond like this is this girl's hair color and she seems brave, like that.
0: And I'll say that as far as Amber Shears writing goes, Bridget's parts are very interestingly written because because you don't get to know anyone who bridget doesn't get to know Mm -hmm. uh she has extreme tunnel vision yes and everyone kind of exists on the periphery for her if she's not completely after something that they have Mm -hmm. and she is the member of the friend group not her traveling pants group but this friend group who you're just like, I don't know this person. Like, this, like me personally, I would stay far away from yes. this person. Like, I would be like, I don't, this person's too, energy. this is too much. Like, this person is way, they want to do everything that they're not supposed to do. They're the ones who are like, let's sneak out tonight. We're going to sneak out. We're going to get drunk. We're going to, like, take off all of our clothes and jump. We're going to go skinny dipping. Come on, guys, let's do it. And if you don't do it, you're shamed for it.
1: I would, no, and I would also be the one hiding in the corner uh, whenever she, Hatch is one of these schemes. I would. The phrase, like, single minded to the point of recklessness, comes to mind. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like. Self destructive. Yes. <laughs> as, as a parent would say. Not consciously. No. She is clearly running. Like, she's running to keep up with her, like, or she's running from her emotions, or Ooh. she's constantly just moving to move. She doesn't sleep. She eats constantly. Like, her metabolism is so high. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and. You feel like if she stopped for a second and thought about what was happening and tried to reckon with her feelings, then she would just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Which kind of Yeah, it does happen.
1: And the only whiff of that her friends have uh, is expressed in letters where they say, have you heard from Bridget? I'm worried about her. Yeah, The letters she sends are very uh, breezy, very flip, like. I'm in love with this counselor and or one of the coaches and I'm having a great time. Like it's just very uh, distilled down to the basest things. And uh, uh, the coach she falls in love with is a 19 year old named Eric. And oh boy.
0: (laughs) He is a golden God, by the way, (laughs) he is the most beautiful man on the soccer field. And
1: he's one of the Uh... only men on the soccer field, to be fair. Like this is a girl's camp.
0: (laughs) It's a girls camp. He's the handsomest man and in any other story he would be the man that the girls ooh and ah over and giggle behind their hands about and maybe flirt a little bit with. But things go so much further in this book because Bridget <sighs> wants what she wants and is not old enough to realize that not every impulse is the best impulse.
1: Yeah, so uh it's it's hard to talk talk about this particular thing because like it was re- <laughs> Reminded me of Stacy and Luca, <laughs> like in the worst possible way, where like that moment when, when Luca's excited that she's going to be 14 when he's 18, I was like, oh, so it's the same age difference as we have at play here. Yeah.
0: But but imagine if the Stacy and Luca scene happened after they'd had sex. <laughs> yes. Not in a hilarious cab scene, but after they've had sex. Uh...
1: So that's
0: what happens with Bridget and Eric.
1: The entire time she's at the camp, uh Bridget is focused on two things. She's focused on being the, oh, uh, I mean, really, it's just the one, right? She's focused on being with Eric. Like she wants, she wants Eric and she'll do anything in her power to get his attention. And one of the ways she does that is by being the most powerful player on the field. And that mm-hmm. gets her taken out of games. Like that gets her benched because consistently they she they want her to feed the ball to other people and let other people have their time to shine she's Play like soccer yes <laughs> but she's like no i want boy to notice me
0: <laughs> and yeah, so she's, and she kind of butts heads with the woman who's in charge of her, like, mm-hmm. group. Yeah. And, you know, she's constantly dragging the girls to the, the local bar, because it's Mexico, and they can get yep. into the bar.
1: Yep, And and, uh, like, they all sleep on the beach once or twice. They all, uh, they yes, yeah, there's a lot of sneaking out and sneaking around after hours.
0: Right, and Eric is in the unfortunate position of being a 19 year old i don't even know the word to describe him he's a 19 year old uh just ball of hormones i yes. guess Yeah,
1: uh, and this is not an adult he's
0: like he is a he is still like he's barely out of high school yeah and, and it- he's in charge of a t- like this is a situation where there should be older people supervising <laughs> the younger older people.
1: He should not be working here in this capacity because no. obviously there's going to be like a no fraternization policy. Obviously that exists. Yes. But he's a he's 19 and it's his behavior is basically unchecked. Like he mm-hmm. tries to turn Bridget down repeatedly. Um He doesn't do a good job of it. Like he always he's every time she approaches him, every time she comes on to him, he gets a little closer to crossing a line with her. Yeah. And yeah, they they sleep together. It's the it's British first time doing anything like that.
0: Like clearly they say that she does not have really much experience. No, like she says
1: she's maybe done a little more than make out. And to me, that indicates she's done almost nothing. Like it's Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: almost that's almost nothing that's that's kid
1: stuff but no she but yeah she just like finds him in his cabin and they have sex he's like fine it's fine it's i mean uh then he finds out that she's she had said she was 16 which doesn't really make it better but neither her nor there uh no and he uh apologizes um says oh we shouldn't have done that uh, everything he says is intended to make himself feel better and not her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she is bedridden for the rest of her time at camp. She is down for the couch. In she's incredibly depressed. She realizes that this, fil- like, this this. there's no fulfillment in this at all. Like, no, this was a terrible idea. She doesn't play in their final games, as I recall. Like, she's done.
0: Right. Yeah, this is, it's a bad situation. Uh, he is... 19, he is entirely at fault for oh, yes. taking advantage of the advances of a, of a little girl. Yeah, a girl, um, yeah. He should not have been in charge of as much as he was in charge of. This camp needed to have better supervision. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that a, a kid from one of the cabins should have been able to sneak into his cabin in the middle of the night. Um, and uh, there is no reason he should have had so little training that he threw caution to the wind and slept with a teenager Teenager. uh, at his soccer camp. And then, as you said, attempts to apologize his way out of it by just saying, like, yeah, that was stupid. That was really stupid. And then not ever, I guess, take any responsibility for it because she just ends up depressed and says, like, I guess I didn't eat enough food or whatever. And... (laughs) The frustration for me in this story is the fact that this is a kid who is clearly self-destructive, who is clearly asking for help however she can, who can't stop moving, whose father is probably in a bad way. We don't know anything about him yet, Mm -hmm. Uh, whose friends aren't mature enough to see what's going on with their friend, who every adult seems to be failing left and right, uh, and who is then left alone to deal with her like emotional turmoil and this like almost grief at the end
1: and none of her camp friends because they are all such surface level friends and all they've seen from her is this like unbridled confidence and fierceness Mm -hmm. the whole summer all of her friends have no idea what to do like because they don't want to it seems like they don't necessarily want to smother her and they don't know how to comfort her in this situation because the situation is uniquely terrible like let's be clear here yeah. And uh, what ultimately happens is Lena on her way home from Greece decides to rebook her flight and go into like go into L.A. and then take a couple cabs to Baja and rescue Bridget. Yes. And this is a, I mean, this is an incredibly sweet gesture, but it is clearly all any of the pants girls know how to do like, like, oh, right. let's I'm just going to go rescue her.
0: And shouldn't be on them. Nope. No, it shouldn't. In the first place. It shouldn't be on a 15 year old girl to rebook her flight and take a couple of buses. (laughs) I'm in my 30s
1: and I would be so stressed by this. Like, this is not a thing that I could easily accomplish. I don't like going to the airport by myself. (laughs)
0: No. I mean it was pre-9/11. Yeah,
1: this is a different time. This is true. Oh, yeah, there was a part there there were a couple parts where I was like, yeah, this isn't how that would work now, but yeah. You know, not going to be pedantic about <laughs> no. that. I don't need a revised edition, like an updated edition.
0: She goes to rescue her friend. She does. And obviously this is not the end of Bridget's story. Um it's kind of just the beginning. Oh, yes. Probably, if I remember correctly, like this is like this sort of Begins the uh, is the kickoff to what Bridget goes through in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh,
1: so as
0: as is Lena's. Yes, so story. now we
1: come to the worst character.
0: <laughs> I don't think she could be considered the worst. No, she's because not. The worst. She is so pretty.
1: She's so pretty. She's not Carmen's dad. Uh, <laughs> she's not Eric.
0: <laughs> she's not the worst, so much as the nothingth. She doesn't do so much. I was
1: thinking, like, it would be possible for us to wrap up her story in like three sentences. <laughs> <It's> like,
0: <laughs> go for it.
1: I'll do my best. Uh, Lena goes to Greece um, and meets a boy named Costas. Lena convinces everyone in town that Costas sexually assaulted her. Lena realizes that this was a bad idea. Apologizes to him, kind of they kiss she goes
0: home (laughs) tell me what I missed uh and you missed all the amazing grandpa fights
1: (laughs) yeah there's There's a lot of
0: grandpa fights
1: (laughs) so uh, the gist here is like okay Lena and her sister go to visit their grandparents they've never met uh Effie her sister flourishes in (laughs) in Mm -hmm. Greece like she uh she falls in love with a waiter who's in the tiny village of Oya where they're staying uh she she starts learning Greek. She's just like flitting about the town having a grand old time. We don't get enough Effie. Effie's great. She's like
0: 13, right? Yeah,
1: she's doing an amazing job. And yeah. Lena, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, is occasionally painting, uh, mostly being just like very... I hate to use the word prissy, but she's a very prissy person. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And uh, trying to avoid Costas, who is the son of another uh, like a Uh, another family in the village. Um, and he's handsome, and we don't really know that much more about him. Like he can
0: speak yeah. English. He grew like he's he grew up in America or yeah. something. His families died. He went to live with his grandparents because his parents died. Yeah. And his his parents and his brother. He has a tragic past.
1: He has a very he, tragic past.
0: He is the handsomest man in Greece,
1: mm-hmm. uh, or if which not is the something. world.
0: And because, as we know from popular culture, Greece consists entirely of the world's handsomest men and very old women <laughs> and then americans who go to greece to fall in love with the handsomest men
1: so the, this is accurate lots of villas this is a very villa heavy book as is every like <laughs> every piece of Gre- greece set entertainment of this year
0: <laughs> i think you i think we talked about yeah. uh, off mic earlier that uh this was kind of the era of greece in popular culture kind of becoming like wine mom destination yes. Like, yes as far as books and movies and just the aesthetic of like i'm going to go there's wine and olives and a handsome man and and i
1: think we can agree that mamma mia is the apex of this
0: mamma mia uh yeah i think my big fat greek wedding helped
1: yes that did that gave it a boost cuz that's right or right, yeah yeah.
0: A- until this point, our only pop cultural touchstone for, for Greek people was Papa Papadopoulos in Webster. Yes, exactly. Uh, Webster's <laughs> grandfather, who couldn't read, but that was okay. He learned to read later <laughs> in life.
1: So, uh, Lena's time in Gri- Greece, yes, she's painting. She's interacting mm-hmm. with Costas uh, occasionally. She's eating a lot of breakfast, like silent breakfast with her baki.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She she doesn't talk to her grandfather because he doesn't speak English. Yes. And and she's like I don't I don't know this man. <laughs> and don't worry, that comes into play later on.
1: The end of the book does involve him putting his hand over hers and saying in English, "You're my girl," which is kind of cute.
0: <laughs> she goes skinny dipping one day and uh, uh, Costas mm-hmm. Costas sees her skinny dipping and won't look away uh maybe things are different in greece maybe he is a little bit of a creep but lena freaks out runs home her grandmother sees her crying and her clothes are all in disarray because she threw them on traveling pants are inside out and she says costas isn't a nice boy
1: that's all she says but then she Mm -hmm. says nothing more to
0: clarify so the grandmother thinks clearly her clothes are disheveled and she's crying and said costas is not a nice boy because he manhandled her. He did something to her. Clearly
1: he did something wrong. And it was definitely his fault. And he's the one who's not nice. And far, far be it from Lena to realize that maybe if you ran across somebody skinny dipping in, in your village where you've lived however long and have, like, your own places and uh, you obviously wouldn't just stare at them. You would, of course you would do that. That's exactly what I would do. What else are you supposed to do? Like... <laughs> Start and, I, like The fact that he isn't weirder about it and indeed forgives her for this without her really ever
0: apologizing. And I mean, it's a grease. Aren't people like naked all the time? I, think I so, don't know. Yeah. I saw Much Ado About Nothing. It's <laughs> like, mostly nudity. is like par for the there's course. There's a though. lot of naked swimming in the beginning of that. A lot of bathing. Uh, so I think
1: so the grandfather's yeah. getting a fist fight
0: yes it's an old man fight it's the best thing in the book it's
1: really really funny uh Lena gets some blood on the pants in the in the scuffle which is and really... you're not
0: allowed to wash them so there's blood on these pants forevermore it's, actually, old man blood. it's
1: also really funny and uh, uh which
0: which pays off in book five when they clone the old man
1: <laughs> oh I wish I wish these did just suddenly become genre fiction <laughs> <laughs> um
0: yeah so the old men fight and the more the more things get terrible and clearly the town is talking about how Costas assaulted this American girl yeah yeah um the the more Lena doesn't say anything she's she almost feels bad about it almost almost but it's so embarrassing so
1: eventually she stumbles upon him in this place she also like peeps on him and stares at him like a creep when she finds out he too skinny dips in this
0: particular (laughs) venue two things this is a young adult book Mm -hmm. uh it's ya fiction which means that they never actually say that bridget had sex Mm -hmm. they euphemism their way around it so that you know if you know but if you're a 12 year old reading this book and you don't quite know what sex does you're still going to be up in the air like they just it cuts and then what it's always like we know what we did and how far things you know that like okay you're like uh, ah two they don't describe Costas as. <laughs> they don't go into any of that, which you'd think they would have at this point.
1: We are no longer a family show. No, there's no <laughs> there's no actual description, uh, like no physical description here. Uh, I would at least I'm like going to bleep know if that so
0: it's going to sound even worse. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like she doesn't. Uh, we know that he's incredibly handsome. Mm hmm. Could she maybe express, like, some manner of desire after this happens? I don't know. Like, I, I know that she eventually does, but...
0: Yeah, but in that weird, like, very virginal way. I was going to use the like, word
1: virginal. It's very that, chaste. Like, yeah. And I
0: mean that in, like, not in a, like, this is how virgins act, but in that literary way. Yeah, of, like,
1: yeah. Oh, man. It's very puritanical. Oh. and Yeah. So, we, uh, I mean, everything gets settled, I guess, for... Uh, she goes to visit Costas at his Ford, so I can only assume that he's like shirtless and oily and like carrying. up, yeah. I was going to say a pickaxe, which is not what you use.
0: Nope. You don't need that. Nope. I mean, he could have one.
1: He probably does. And they make out, I guess.
0: I guess it's so vague. Meanwhile, Effie has been like drinking and sleeping around the town, and she's like high, high on a hog. She's thirteen years old. She's <laughs> living the best life. She's like, I don't know why all these traveling pants girls are getting up in arms about their sex lives and being attracted to men because I'm thirteen and I figured it all out years <laughs> ago.
1: Effie is having an incredible time this whole book. Uh, bless her. Um, yeah, and then uh, every all is forgiven. I guess they have an open invitation to come back to this village that they like Lena
0: ruined for a few weeks. They they traips over the whole like the town thought I was a sexual assaulter and now they I guess don't. <laughs> they, they she's like off to save my soccer friend from that weird camp where she <laughs> had her whole life turned upside down.
1: And uh, that's it. That's Lena. Lena is just like the an incredibly passive character who makes a huge mistake and does not <laughs> atone for it.
0: But she and Costas beca- become like the focus of like, when I think of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants as an overarching story, mm-hmm. it's to me, that is the central will they, won't they, do they, do they not story.
1: It is. It, 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 tragically, it really is because there's so much more fertile ground. I actually think in every other story but it is—I believe it's the third book where Lena finally there's focus taken away from the Costas narrative, like it gets pushed to the background. Yeah. But it's definitely we'll the the focus of the next one, like for her plot specifically. Mm-hmm. And the movie, this is like—I remember the advertising leaned so heavily on like Costas being handsome and yeah, it's Greece, himself. yeah. Greece. We, I mean, we need those glamour shots of Greece. Like,
0: yeah, we're gonna see the water. We're gonna see the sun shining off the water. We're gonna see houses made of like mud. I don't know what they live in in Greece. Uh, like, impossible, Adobe. Impossible I don't. It's not Adobe.
1: <laughs> I'm not looking into that. We'll, we'll cock- see. Uh, we'll see next week.
0: I know that the Greeks don't live in houses made we of mud. That. I know that it's not like yurts or like. <laughs>
1: Like, so yeah, uh, so yeah. I think the official power ranking is Carmen, Tibby, Bridget, Lena. In terms of, I think so. In terms as of frustration, and I don't know if that will shift with watching the movie. It's possible that it will. Uh, I remember uh, I like cause, so like the the casting is so so good in the
0: movie, and I'm really excited for that. Uh, oh, they get back together. Oh yeah, all sorry, girls. sorry. Yeah. They have one last. They have a party at the at the workout place.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very downbeat
0: party it is because they've all been through hell <laughs> it's been a bad summer yeah it's a terrible summer for everyone involved what's really weird about all this is there was a little girl who died and most of the main I don't
1: characters
0: but most of the main characters don't never get to know this little girl like
1: no and for the rest of their lives tibby is going to reference bailey and they're going to be like we don't know who that is yeah
0: and I don't have any footage of her because she was holding the boom mic the, the entire time. The entire time. Carmen was around when Bailey was still alive, but only when, when she was in
1: the hospital. Right. But only
0: when she was in the hospital. I don't know if she ever did. She visited her. She met yeah, her yeah. because Bailey mentioned the pants. Yes, uh, Bailey
1: does try on the pants at one point. By the way, always at least one other person decides they're going to try on the pants.
0: What if Bailey had died in the pants? <laughs> You're presenting a, a, a much an even darker narrative. <laughs> No, Bailey dies in the pants. She's like, can I try on the pants? She's like, sure. And then she's like, uh, uh. And like, then there's like, oh, no, it's an emergency. And she dies in the pants. And then for the rest of the book series, every time they wear the pants, there's like, there's like a little bit of Bailey, like, for, like in their mind. I guess that could...
1: I was about to make a comparison between the series and the Bourne movies. And I think I shouldn't do that. <laughs> we're not going to, we're not going to delve into that. I'm, I mean, Does a...
0: that happen in the Bourne movies? There's a... <laughs>
1: Uh, enormous spoilers for the Born series. Um, the the first movie features uh, Franco Patenta as the character of Marie. Uh, the second movie, Marie dies in the first ten minutes, and it feels like they're fridging her. But then the specter of sorry, the specter of Marie hangs over the rest of the series in a really poetic mm. way.
0: It is just like the sisterhood. Of it's the exactly,
1: exactly yeah. like the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Also, yes, I did just describe the Born series as poetic. Uh, hey! You can at me all you want. I am not backing down on that particular point.
0: <laughs> I-, I thought something dramatic happened at the end of the book. I thought there was some kind of like. We didn't point out the fact that each chapter begins with the cheesiest, like, I went to the quote bookstore and bought a quote I could have talked about quote. this for. The first yeah. quote in the book is Not All Who Wander Are Lost by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Which isn't even the quote, but I assume that it's supposed to be like a bunch of kids put these quotes together for their project or something, and that's the best they could remember it. So um,
1: uh, I decided that is referring the uh, the pants are the ones who wander, but they're not lost.
0: Um, they're not lost. They're in the mail.
1: No, so the, nothing dramatic happens at the end. We just have a like a little epilogue. Oh yeah. Uh, and
0: yeah, it's just we knew that B had messed herself up over Eric. That's a way of putting it. <laughs> She really messed herself up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it was definitely her and it had nothing. Like, let's not put the onus on him. The pants promised them there was time. That's what we get at the end. Nothing would be lost. There's all year if we needed it. We had all the way until next summer when we would take out the traveling pants and together apart begin again.
0: Please tell me that the movie ends with them all in the room and then they're all like sort of sad together and then it pans down (laughs) to the pants laying in the middle of them and the pants go like this. There's still time, <laughs> and you're like right on, and then it cuts to credits, and it's all like voice of pants, and it's like I don't know, uh, I, I can't think of an actor who would play the voice of the pants. Oh, uh, Peter wise. Stormare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the end of, of the, a, there's this, uh, the horror movie May. Do you, you see this where she like? I've puts, seen May. Yes, put, it reminds me of that where she puts together a body. Uh, to make the best possible friend and Mm -hmm. and at the end like she realizes that that's not how it works but then the body reaches over and touches her that's what I'm visualizing right now
0: that uh I mean yeah are you saying the pants reach over and touch
1: yes (laughs) and then they speak
0: one day I want to do an entire podcast just about how Angela Bettis deserved more as a, as a leading actor that how movie. she did several leading roles uh including may but mm-hmm. also uh she was in that she was in that weird remake of carrie for tv that yeah was, the that Rage a,
1: carrie too no
0: no no no. <laughs> oh no there, she there was a
1: tv one too
0: she did the tv movie of carrie that was a pilot for a carrie series that never got off the ground and uh and yeah angela bettis played carrie much better than in uh any other remake of carrie because she just had that look anyway she should have been in the traveling pants movie i don't know i don't <laughs> was there a role for her we don't know
1: uh she um, maybe in the next movie there's plenty more characters that we're gonna meet uh yeah uh, so uh,
0: book good good book good book good, good book. book if you haven't read it you know we we spoiled everything but it's still worth three. It'll take you a day and a half. It'll take you a to, day and a half. You
1: probably will cry at one portion or another. I certainly did. Uh, oh, yeah. Didn't cry when Bailey died. Did cry over Carmen's father multiple times, which was not anticipated on my part.
0: I get teary eyed during the Carmen stuff. I got teary eyed during the really bad during the Bailey stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh and the uh uh Bridget stuff. I just
1: felt horrible during the Bridget stuff. Like because I feel sick to my stomach during
0: it. I think for me it's just having a kid who's gone through that age yeah. and yeah. knowing that like this is a very unfair time in your life and that your your mental health and your body's physical health. And the expectations that people put on you are rarely aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that as a parent, you don't always notice this stuff. And it's just sad to think of all the things you miss as a parent that you should have noticed because <laughs> they were happening right in front of you. Uh, and so I got teary-eyed during some of that stuff because I felt bad for Bridget. Oh, yes. um,
1: so I will, yeah, I'll be watching the movie in the next few days. We'll be watching
0: the movie and uh, and then we'll come back and we'll give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Yeah, we'll do some.
1: Pairing and contrasting, and probably a lot of me talking about Bradley Whitford.
0: And also, what's-her-face who plays Bridget? I can't think of her name. (laughs) Blake Lively. Blake Lively. And also, uh, what's-her-face who plays uh, uh, Tibby? Tibby. Amber Tamblyn. Amber Tamblyn, who this whole time I thought I knew who she was, and then I realized I don't think I've ever seen Amber Tamblyn in anything.
1: (laughs) An important note (laughs) that you can cut or leave in, I don't care, is that Amber Tamblin is married to David Cross.
0: I do know And Blake know
1: Lively is married to Ryan Reynolds. And Amber Tamblyn and Blake Lively are still good friends, which means that sometimes the four of them hang out. And I just like imagining what goes on <laughs> those gatherings.
0: I like to think that David Cross complains about things they can't understand generationally.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't look at a photo of Amber Tamblyn's father if you want to ever sleep again
0: i believe that blake lively and uh, ryan reynolds are also a bit distanced in age yes
1: they are but russ Tamblin looks exactly like david cross <laughs>
0: uh also the russ Hamlin amber Tamlin thing don't forget everyone in hollywood is related to somebody
1: else <laughs> sure is not all of them can have a, such a direct twin peaks connection but <laughs> no not all
0: was david cross ever on twin peaks that would have been something <laughs> he would have fit right in <laughs>
1: Like a like the, the the person at the sheriff's office who's just had it like that's just his thing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so join us next time for David Cross's wife, for uh, 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 whoever Blake Lively is. I still don't know. Um, america ferreira one, alexis Bedell. america ferreira who is who is my favorite and alexis bladel who was in that show that i never watched but that had people that talked a lot in it who's um, was so beautiful it's... also apparently nancy travis i'm sorry i'm looking ahead oh i'm so excited no I mean... i'm a nancy travis apologist so we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll just talk that.
1: about so i married an axe murderer instead <laughs>
0: Why wouldn't you talk about? That's all I ever want to talk about. It's just such a <laughs> such an underappreciated gem. <laughs> true. Um, uh, should we say where we can people can find us?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think we should do that. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I, like, I just looked down at my phone for a second. And I, I don't know why, but that threw me off in a major way. I was just like, oh, technology. Can you imagine? Uh, no. But, uh, you can find the show at Pizza Toast Pod on Twitter. You can email us at pizzatoastpod at gmail.com. Maybe someday we'll have a Facebook presence. I don't know.
0: It's eh, possible. It's been four seasons.
1: Yeah. Eh, it's only a year, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter as well at Christy Admiral. Phil, you're on Twitter.
0: I am at P Corey Gonzalez. Uh,
1: Phil has some other shows that are great that you should also be listening to. Yeah, he shook his head. Deep in Bear Country, <laughs>
0: uh, it's Del Toro time. This one, this
1: one. Yeah, I've been on a Total Massacre pod a couple times recently. I'll put it on the Twitter at some point. I simply love to promote myself. And mm-hmm. uh, are we still saying goodbye to our friends?
0: Um, I. I was going to say, let's say goodbye to our pants, but <laughs> that's like, there's a, that doesn't work at all.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's just keep saying goodbye to our friends. Why not?
0: Let's say goodbye to, because eventually it'll come back around. Yes. It makes sense again. Yeah, And if you one hear one. any scuttlebutt on when this next season of the Babysitter's Club is to come out, please let us get know. Us up. We'd yeah, to we would
1: love to have an idea of when we get to talk about them again, too.
0: We could say, like, I was trying to turn Blake Lively's name into an expression. But, because it's the only name that has, like, a descriptor in it. Live? Never mind. In any case, <laughs> say goodbye to your friends. Say goodbye to your friends. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye, friends. <laughs> <laughs>